What up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and on this episode, we're going to continue our G1 Climax 33 coverage. This is for July 21st, 2023. I am going over A and B block matches. But first, a word from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, did you ever want to start your own podcast but don't know where to start, who to sign up with, which company you should have to host your podcast? And then you're thinking about maybe a budget, you're thinking about how much money do I have to put into a podcast, and you get all these weird, big, huge numbers from other podcasters, and you might feel defeated, you might feel not encouraged enough to go start a podcast. Well, I'm here to let you know that you are more than capable of starting a podcast with no money at all. Well, maybe at least a couple bucks. But the good thing is that I'm here to save you on any type of plan that you decide to choose. Now, who am I talking about? Zencaster. Zencaster makes it easy for you to not only start your podcast, but production-wise, it is top quality, top-notch, top-shelf. It is 100% foolproof. It gives you all the tools from start to finish. You have the ability to make your sound of the audio sound super great. It takes out all the ums and the ahs, the awkwardness, and it also adjusts the levels accordingly. So just in case if your buddy is listening to your podcast on the phone and has headphones on, their eardrums are not going to get busted. The other cool thing is that Zencaster offers audio and video recordings. If you record your podcasts via video and upload it, there is a increase in engagement. There is an increase in followers. There is an increase in people watching and getting to know you and putting the voice to the name of the host of the podcast. So that's a win-win situation for you and a win-win situation for Zencaster. And you know how I'm going to help you with that? You guys can go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my special code, which is three simple letters, SCP, and get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time for you to share your story. So again, that is Zencaster.com forward slash pricing, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com forward slash pricing. Use my special offer code SCP and you will get that 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. All right, now let's go back to the G133 Climax coverage. You know, as I was looking at the matches for A and B block, there is not too much story in A and B block as there is in C block. C block is very story heavy. D block has some story in it, but not like a lot like C block. In A block, I can see the competitors and I know that each of them wants to be known as the best. Each of them have the aspiration of wanting to win the G1. And that's everybody's goal in this G1 is to win the G1 and get that trophy, take it home, and then have the opportunity to 
fight the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion at Wrestle Kingdom. So that's very understandable. But there's nothing else in A and B block for me to like really dive into. And I kind of noticed it by just looking at the lineup for July 21st. We are getting fantastic matchups, okay? Fresh matchups. And I've seen all these guys. I grew up watching all these guys. When I say grow up, I mean I follow them and see what kind of path they went on to the best of my ability. So I'm already like old enough. But, you know, when I say grew up with them, it's like me watching their journey and watching what they do, except for Kaito, I don't really know. This is the first time that I'm watching Kaito Kiyomiya matches in G1. So, you know, it's one of those type of things. There's no one here that has this urgency and the other factors to get me excited for why I should really, like, go all in and want them to win the G1. It's not like in the C block where there's Tama, Hinare, and David Finley that I'm rooting for because each of these guys have a special story. Now, I know people might get on me for my opinion on this, but that's how I just see this lineup. So let's jump into the matches and I'll tell you more. For B block, we have Yoshihashi versus Loa. Yoshihashi is a very great competitor. He's very fierce. He's very strong in the ring. He's also one half of the IWGP World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. His partner is Goto. Goto's in the D block. And then we have Loa. Loa's coming back from a year-long injury, recovering from knee surgery. So these matches are very good for him to get his reps back in, for him to feel out how his knee is, and really great comeback matches. This match against Yoshihashi was a really good comeback match. But again, like, I don't know anything else to tell you something significant. It's not like the other podcast episodes where I could definitely be like, well, let's talk about character. Let's talk about story. Let's talk about how they feel in the grand scheme of things. Loa is just happy to be back. Yoshihashi is just there. You know, I don't know what happens if he were to ever win the G1. Like, where is that really going to go? How would you position the company on his back to carry it when he's mainly a tag team wrestler? And I also want to try and provide as much value and insight as I can with these G1 review podcast episodes and or just talking about New Japan and all these guys. And I really hope that I try to do that in these episodes. So, as I said, it was a great opener. However, Yoshihashi tried to go for a quick roll up on Loa. Loa kicks out of that and then Yoshihashi takes off Loa's shirt which this is something ELP wanted for the longest. And I think everyone else wanted it for the longest suited to have Loa take off his shirt and wrestle shirtless. Yoshihashi then proceeds to do some chops to Loa. Loa comes in with a big shoulder tackle and then a jackknife powerbomb. Yoshihashi kicks out. Loa then goes to the top rope. Loa doesn't necessarily go to the top rope, guys. But he decides to try it. He does a headbutt, lands it, hits it, covers Yoshihashi, but Yoshihashi kicks out. Yoshihashi comes back with a dragon suplex to Loa. And then Yoshihashi does the crucifix bomb pin to Loa. Manages to get that covered nice and deep. One, two, three. Yoshihashi gets two points in his G1 Climax 33 match against Loa. 
Our next match is A Block, Ren Narita versus Gabe Kidd. This one was interesting because Red Narita felt a disturbance in the force. Like he knew Gabe Kidd was going to come and attack him from behind. And I said that in a couple podcast episodes ago where these guys that do that kind of stuff, eventually someone is going to tape study them. Red Narita is definitely a tape study guy. He is basically like Shibata's twin. So nothing gets past him. Nothing gets past Shibata. So most likely Ren Narita was watching some Gabriel Kidd matches and know that Gabriel Kidd is going to attack people from behind before the bell rings. This sort of spooks Gabe, but they still have a little scuffle at the entrance ramp until Ren Narita goes into the ring and yells in Japanese for Gabriel Kidd to get into the ring and fight him like a man. And that is what Gabriel Kidd does. This match goes a little bit longer than his usual matches in the G1, but it does not make it past 10 minutes. I don't think it does. But Gabriel Kidd is actually fighting. He's actually wrestling. Ren Narita is controlling the match, but Gabriel Kidd just has Ren Narita's number, so to speak. Gabriel Kidd will use any underhand tactics. You know, the Bullet Club tactics that I talk about, Gabe was taking the corner pad off and Ren Narita realizes this tries to go to stop him but it doesn't work because Gabe uses that to his advantage by having Ren hit his head on the exposed steel and using that throughout the match and then when Gabe tries to go for a pin the referee does not want to count for Gabriel for doing that we get a spin kick to Gabe and a knee bar that drives Gabriel Kidd down to the mat and Ren Arita does this leg lace version of a cloverleaf on Gabe Kidd, but Gabe Kidd crawls his way to the bottom rope to cause a rope break. Ren Arita does not want to name any of his moves very fancy. He's very normal, very direct, very boring to say the least. So I have to say a leg lace version of a cloverleaf. Like he doesn't want to name it anything other than like the Narita special three. I don't know how many numbers we are up to when it comes to the Narita special, but it's part of the Narita special. Gabe then pushes Ren into the ref. However, no ref bump, but he does follow it up with a chop to Narita's back. Follow that up with wrist control. And you guys know that with wrist control, you control the match. Gabe Kid spins out Narita and delivers this devastating huge-handed chop to Narita. Narita falls to his face, his eyes are dazed, and he doesn't know where he's at. However, Narita does get some life back into him, does a suplex to Gabe, goes for a cover, Gabe kicks out at one, then there's a lariat to Narita from Gabe, goes for the cover, kicks out at one. Both of these guys are not going to go down very easily. Both of these guys grew up in the dojo system, they train together, and they are forever rivals. We get a huge running, driving knee to Gabe. Renarita goes for that cover. Gabe kicks out. We get that underhook suplex to Gabe. Roll through with a Cobra twist. Gabe breaks free, holds the ref so the ref doesn't see this. Low blow goes for that power driver cover. And Gabriel Kidd gets the one, two, three and gets two points for his G1 Climax 33 match against Renarita. I will say this, though, that despite anything, Gabe is very resourceful. 
He is using all the knowledge that he has gained over the last 14 years of being in this business, being a wrestler, and he is using it while he is in Bullet Club, and he's using it very smartly. You may agree with his tactics or disagree with his tactics, but it is working for him. It is getting him points, and he knows when to use it and when not to use it, and when to get the crowd into his matches, and when to just really just fight amongst them. I will say this about Red Narita. Ren Narita is going to have to change up his style, his character, and not be so much associated as being Shibata's twin, Shibata's mini-me. As much as I love technical wrestling, as much as I love the psychology behind technical wrestling, it can somewhat be a little annoying to always see it and nothing really changes. Ren Narita needs to learn how to be adaptable and eventually break out and become whoever Ren Narita is supposed to be in professional wrestling because he's not going to go anywhere. He's not going to evolve. He's not going to be taken by the crowd so that way the crowd can give him energy and support. There are other people that have the crowd's support and loyalty behind them 100%. Ren Narita, he kind of does, but not to the extent of the other guys. So I would really think that Ren Narita will have to work on his character and everything like that. Our next match is B-Block, ELP versus The Great Okan. ELP, again, has not found a home, has no friends, is on an island by himself. The Great Okan represents the United Empire. He's been using a lot of amateur wrestling in all of his matches, and he's definitely been super serious throughout this whole entire tournament. He really wants a shot at the IWGP World Airway Championship title. ELP, again, is trying to rebuild his reputation because he's known as a comedic wrestler. Now, most of the time, that's not really a bad thing in wrestling, but when you are with one of the most biggest groups, such as Bullet Club, you can't really always be too comedic. So he got kicked out of Bullet Club, and then now he's on his own and fighting in the G1. And in this match, as much as it was amateur wrestling and then ELP tries for some quick pins to just end the match, we get a head scissors takeover, a huge swanton dive from the outside to the inside. However, ELP misses that. Here comes the Great Okan with his leg scissors choke. ELP got to the rope, rope break. Then there's a front face lock on ELP, another rope break, a back body drop. And then ELP is trying to show the Great Okan his strength, but that does not really work. ELP takes another comedic route by nipple twisting the Great Okan. ELP tries to be that funny character where little tiny things like nipple twisting or anything that like an immature guy would just joke about but it's not that bad it's just like if guys were to joke about farts it's kind of funny so think of it that way so it's very kiddish it's very guyish which I have no problem with that because you know I would joke in the same manner as some guys do and you know talk about farts if need be but like I don't really frown upon it but I'm just letting you guys know what ELP does that can be deemed as immature and nipple twisting might be one of them so he nipple twists the Great Okan's nipples however the Great Okan likes this 
I don't really stalk people's IGs and stuff, but you could just tell the Great Ocon likes that kind of stuff. So because he likes that kind of stuff, he basically turns it around and ends up biting ELP's nipple. It's like the weirdest part of this match. Weirdest part. But it's not that bad. We get suicide dives that send the Great Ocon over the barricade. We get some more fighting. We got a huge crossbody to the Great Ocon on the outside. ELP goes for that swanton and lion salt to the Great Ocon. The Great Ocon kicks out. The Great Ocon applies the STO to ELP. ELP kicks out. We get sudden death in this match. The other matches, we haven't been able to get sudden death. And by the way, sudden death is just a super kick. If this is your first time following me and listening to me talk about wrestling and talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, oh, so many months ago and years, I believe. I don't even remember, but I do know that when it came to sudden death, when he was being a tag team partner with Taiji Ishimori in Bullet Club before they kicked him out, before they kicked out Jay White, Sudden death was this little mini arc of that every time that he kicks somebody, that's it. You're out. You're knocked out cold. You're not going to get up from a pin. So that is how ELP and Taiji Ishimori back in the day won many, many matches and held the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles at one point. However, I believe it was Taguchi and his tag team partner. I forget who it was. But they were really investigating this on ELP. ELP's story is that because he is Canadian and comes from Canada, he was super kicking maple trees. And because of that, the sudden death and or the super kick basically became a strong as powerful move. However, when they finally did enough investigation and they finally got ELP's boot off they noticed that there was a metal plate inside that boot and they showed it to the referee and then the referee called for a no contest and like threw everything out the window and basically the appeal of the sudden death move of the super kick that knocked out everybody was destroyed in that instance because it was revealed that ELP had a steel plate in his boot every single time that he wrestled and did sudden death to your opponents and that's why he always got the victory because they got knocked out because of the metal plate now fast forward to this match ELP does sudden death to the Great Ocon, but the Great Ocon kicks out. We get an overhead suplex. ELP tries for a lariat. The Great Ocon with a huge lariat of his own. ELP rolled out just to avoid the cover, which is a veteran move. We get a missile dropkick to ELP. Here comes the Great Ocon to do a Tenzon Tombstone driver to ELP on the floor. And then the Dominator into the Sheep Killer. And this is a submission. The Sheep Killer is a submission. It's basically the Great Ocon's taped up hands on his face, pushing it to one side. So that way, when it stretches out your neck muscles, it sort of hurts. So this has ELP tapping. He does not have enough strength to get to the ropes. So he ends up tapping. That gives the Great Ocon two points in this G1 Climax 33 match. Now... I'm going to talk a little bit about the backstage comments from ELP because no one knows that he was going through this shit. And most of the time, wrestlers don't really tell us their private life as much. That's why during the G1 press conference, we had such a really heavy emotional speech from Alex Coughlin about all the shit that he went through and 
how he, I guess, maybe had to grieve over here with the stuff that Alex Coughlin said. And I'm only referencing his stuff because ELP's backstage comments are very similar. So ELP tells us during his backstage comments that before he faced Okada, which was the last match he had, and you could go back in the archives and I talk about ELP versus Okada. Before he went out to go fight Okada, the hour before, his parents called him up and let him know that his father had passed away. And that's a very heavy thing to deal with, especially when you have to go out there, fight Okada, and this is an hour before you're getting ready to go out there and do so. So ELP went out there, had the match with Okada, and he had to grieve the way that he had to grieve, you know, for that. Um, it was really shocking to sort of hear and hear him, how he talked about everything and how, like, he mentioned that his father didn't have very long to live, but he kept fighting. And then eventually that was it. And how he lost or his parents lost their daughter, which should be his sister a year before. And he was in Japan when this happens. So he sort of, I guess, feels guilty and stuff. But um, it sort of hit me that it was like, you know, I, I say all these things about him, but not in a malice way or anything like that. I just say my observations and stuff. But I really do hope that ELP and like Alex Coughlin and any of the other wrestlers that deal with this kind of stuff can really, truly heal and grieve appropriately if that was the case, if I was ELP, I would have forfeited my spot in the G1 just to go be with family because there's always going to be other G1s and you might end up winning the next G1. You know, I'd rather have ELP have a really good head on his shoulders and go and grieve properly with his mom because she shouldn't be alone in this time. His father passed away at 91 which is very unfortunate and very sad, but he did probably live a full life and he got to see his son do the very thing that he wanted to do and, you know, probably loved him until the very end. And again, I hope that ELP gets the correct healing way and the correct grievance that he currently needs right now. Not to bring down this entire podcast, but just to show my condolences and support for ELP after him really talking about it and like just crying in the process of his backstage comments. Our next match is a block Hikaleo versus Chase Owens. This match was okay. You have former Bullet Club member Hikaleo who is now part of Hontai and with his brothers, the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga, Tangaloa and Chase who's still part of Bullet Club. And so this was a match where Chase basically annoys Hikaleo. Hikaleo gets mad. Hikaleo makes some decisions in this match, even though we have Hikaleo basically dominating in this match with some chops and big boots. But Chase is very crafty. Chase has been doing this for a lot of years. And there was one point where Chase was faking an injury, even though on Twitter he revealed that he's working with messed up ligaments in his knee and cartilage that is blocking so he's fighting with all that 
And he goes and fakes an injury and pulls off his knee pad and then uses it as a weapon against Hikaleo. At that point, Hikaleo kicks out, but then Chase follows up with a C trigger and then covers Hikaleo. One, two, three. And Chase gets two points for his G1 Climax 33 match over Hikaleo. As much as Hikaleo was having somewhat of a dominant run, Chase was being a little methodical and really ripping at Hikaleo's hand and causing injury, causing hurt. And I really do believe that the Bullet Club members in this G1 are stepping it up because eventually the fat will be cut from Bullet Club. People will be gone from Bullet Club and then new people will come in and take their place and have a fresh new identity of Bullet Club, which, by the way, speaking of Bullet Club, wrestling fans on Twitter, man, like I just need people to think a little bit about what they say and not just say stuff because they're fans. They also have to look at this from a business perspective. Let's talk about Bullet Club Gold for a second. I don't understand why AEW has Bullet Club Gold. I don't understand what happened, and I don't even think I'm even going to get an answer. Even if I were to ask the right people during the interview about how come Bullet Club Gold has the Bullet Club name, when we all know that Bushi Road and New Japan Pro Wrestling immediately was like copyright once Bullet Club was created back when we had Finn Balor in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like, it could have been like a couple months after, and once New Japan saw how great Bullet Club was doing, they are like, we can't miss this opportunity. So the cat is out of the bag. New Japan Pro Wrestling owns the rights to Bullet Club. That's why if you watch WWE and you see the club, that's a reference to Bullet Club. WWE cannot use Bullet Club over here in the States. Now, the thing is that if you are a Bullet Club member from Japan and you come out to the States to do bookings, you're able to have the Bullet Club name. Examples include Chris Bay and Ace Austin. They were recruited into Bullet Club under Jay White before Jay White got officially kicked out. So they still carry the Bullet Club name. Now, for some odd reason, when we fast forward to the day that they really kicked out Jay from Bullet Club, really kicked out Jay from New Japan Pro Wrestling. There's still something missing, in my opinion. Like, I think they did not think this through, but whatever. He got kicked out of both places, Bullet Club and New Japan. How is Jay White still able to have Bullet Club gold in AEW? Did Tony Khan pay New Japan Pro Wrestling to be like, hey, let me try to license a little bit of that Bullet Club because Tony Khan and AEW can't make anything original to save their lives? I don't understand. Like, if you get fully kicked out of a place, why would you want to take something that is of the past if you're not going to create anything new with it? That you're just going to continue to try to piggyback off the name so you could be relevant. Now, don't get me wrong. I still love Jay White. But it just doesn't make any sense to me. You go to a brand new company rather than signing with WWE. You go to a brand new company. You still carry the Bullet Club logo with you. And nothing new has come about this new Bullet Club gold faction. Jay White is still talented. Juice Robinson is still talented. 
The guns are talented. Shouldn't you create like a whole new different faction? So that way, when we talk about the legacy of Jay White, we could be like, he was a really good Bullet Club leader. Now look what he did on the flip side of going to AEW and just see his genius and greatness behind of insert name here of his new faction. That's what I have a problem with is that fans want the best of all the worlds, not even both worlds, of all the worlds of professional wrestling to cater to them. So they don't have to go out and support New Japan Pro Wrestling or any other promotion there is. If they can get everybody that they enjoy, even the new wrestlers that they're like, oh, I could get behind this person. If they can enjoy them from the comfort of their home, then they're not going to be motivated to support at the source because they're so used to that. Oh, don't worry. Oh, they'll go to AEW. Oh, don't worry. They'll go here. They'll go there. That's how WWE got into power. Basically, Vince back in the territory days was buying up all the hottest stars and he knew that if he bought the hottest stars and showcased them on WWF, WWE programming, their followers will follow and those followers will no longer support the source of where the wrestler that they love first came from. So that's why it kind of bothers me when wrestling fans talk about their favorites. And I understand that you go and support the wrestler. You should go support the wrestler if you don't want to support the promotion, but you should support the promotion. So that way your wrestler can always have work because, again, they are independent contractors. They go where they want to. They do as they please. They are freelancers. That kind of rhetoric gets a little tricky. Maybe one day I'll figure out how to really explain the best way to support wrestlers and support the industry in a very ethical way. But we're not there yet. But it's just the idea that wrestling fans want to be catered to, want to be like, oh, my God, my favorite is on TV in this company. So let me support this company as if this company is the source of their favorite wrestler when their favorite wrestler has a whole history of like being in New Japan or being like somewhere else that isn't part of the television network syndicate, if that makes sense. All right, let's talk about B-Block. We have Will Ospreay versus Kenta. This is the first time that Kenta is actually wrestling with urgency and like using Bullet Club tactics. And this was a damn good match for Kenta and Will Ospreay, a damn good match. Kenta hasn't been himself lately. If you guys don't know, at the beginning of the year, Wrestle Kingdom, Kenta had a hardcore match with Tanahashi. Tanahashi doesn't do hardcore matches at all. And New Japan barely does hardcore matches. But Kenta was very insistent. And so he got his match at Wrestle Kingdom. They had a hardcore match. There was this one scary incident in the hardcore match where they have a ladder. And this is like a very, I guess, old school ladder where you have to like assemble it and make sure someone holds it. But no one was really going to hold it. So Kenta decided to let me just climb up, do this elbow drop to Tanahashi through the table. And that was life changing for Kenta. You can see the scar running down his back because of that. And ever since then, he has been totally fucked up. Kenta's other matches in the G1 aren't that good or exciting, but this one against Osprey, it was like, man, what happened? What woke you up? So this Kenta was very reminiscent to 
the old Kenta, like really giving Will Ospreay a run for his money. It started off with Kenta with a surprise wild attack to Will Ospreay before Ospreay can take off his jacket, before the referee can ring the bell. So Kenta was already on like, let me attack now. Let me get the upper hand. However, Ospreay manages to slow things down. Kenta sends Osprey into the barricade and the bleachers of the audience. We get a DDT on the floor to Osprey, and Kenta also sends Osprey into the ring post chest first. They end up fighting some more, and then, you know, of course, we have to get that ref bump in here. We get Kendo sticks, we get low blows. And Kenta grabbing the Defy World Championship title, hits Osprey over the head. Osprey kicks out of the cover. Kenta goes for the submission. I believe they called it game over, which is just a crossface. Osprey escapes this by biting Kenta's wrist. We have a huge power bomb. Osprey is now bringing back the Sky Twister press in his arsenal. We get a runny knee. Osprey kicks out of the cover and then a vicious hidden blade. The Stormbreaker on Kenta goes for the cover. Osprey gets one, two, three, which gives him two points in this G1 Climax 33 match against Kenta. Kenta looked super good in this match. A block is Shota Umino versus Kaito Kiyomiya. This was a fantastic match. These two guys are going to have a really good rivalry. Kaito is starting to fit the New Japan mode more and more. And I do think that after this G1, he might just end up signing a contract with New Japan or at least be used in some instances, like going back and forth between Noah and New Japan. Both of these men are wrestling wrestling. So like chain wrestling, everything you could think of. Then we get some like dragon screws to avoid the death rider, some more dragon screws, a shotgun drop kick, and so forth. Shota is in a lot of pain. The crowd reaction is amazing. At this point, we're at three minutes. Kaito goes after Shota's legs and then doing the figure four. Shota is not giving up. However, Kaito does after a while give up the move and decides to do a tiger suplex goes for the cover shoulder kicks out at this point two minutes are left kaito is still in control we get a huge runny knee that flipping turn upside down bomb that he does now and then shoulder kicks out of that there is one minute left we get a guillotine ddt from shota to kaito however shota is so exhausted by this point that he can't crawl over and make a cover which is very bad because the seconds are running out there's 20 seconds there's 10 seconds left he tries he drapes over his arm very lazily over on kaito and then kaito kicks out and that is when the bell rings and we have a time limit draw so what does that mean kaito and shota get one point each for this g1 climax 33 match Our next match is B-Block, Okada versus Taichi. This was a damn good semi-main event. As you know, Okada is the golden standard. He's everything, and you know that he puts on one hell of a performance. Taichi. Taichi as a singles wrestler is 
really good. This match really proved it. And both of these guys had that sense of who can one up who, who can be better. Taichi is a damn good wrestler. And what I really loved about this was towards the end and how the fans were reacting to both of these guys. Of course, Okada always has his game plan, but Taichi is really being serious. He was always serious before. It's just that none of this really comes out when you're a tag team specialist like he was with his former tag team partner, Zack Sabre Jr. But being in a singles match with Okada is something, especially for Taichi to prove to Okada that he's definitely on the same level as Okada. Okada got rocked sometimes in this match, but Okada really wanted to finish this match early, man. As soon as the bell rings, Okada comes in with a spinning tombstone and then the rainmaker to Taichi. Taichi comes in with a kick, a punch, and an insecurity to Okada. Like, they really wanted to start off early and big and see who can get the win first. Okada has said in his backstage comments that he can't seem to figure out the 20-minute time limit that has been bestowed upon the matches so maybe that was his answer to be like let me see if I can try to get a quick one on Taichi but Taichi no man not at all we get Taichi with his quickness that sort of comes through Taichi has these kicks that ends up rocking Okada the same way that it rocked Osprey we get the buzzsaw kick then a drop kick from Okada Taichi avoids the Rainmaker. Taichi comes in with a side suplex. Okada's on his feet, although he's using the ropes to stabilize himself. Like, that really rocked him again. We get Taichi absorbing the Rainmaker. Some knife edge chops to Okada, which are just chops done, but with the edge of your hand. The X-Bomber to Taichi, which is a very huge lariat. We get a German suplex. Okada kicks out. Taichi comes in with a straight freaking kick to Okada's face. This dazes Okada for a little bit, but then Okada recovers and comes in with that roll-through clutch pin at the very last second. I've been saying it forever on this podcast that pinning your opponent is basically very dangerous. Pins and the drop toho are very dangerous in professional wrestling. So Okada managed to get two points for his G1 Climax 33 match against Taichi with a row-through clutch pin. That was very devastating to Taichi, and both men put on one hell of a performance, but Okada got the win. Okada got the two points. Taichi was like, this motherfucker. Our main event is A Block, Sonata versus Suji. This is technically part two if you want to call it part two part one was at dominion and if you want go back into the archives where i talk about dominion and go listen to my review for that and so this one was amazing they had a stalemate both of these guys know each other sonata is very well at feeling out wrestlers and knowing what they're all about you know suji is coming in with huge power moves and taking Sonata off his game and really making Sonata work. We get a backbreaker, that face plant, that curb stomp combo to Sonata. Sonata manages to finally get the TKO to Suji. 
we get the O'Connor row avoided. However, Suji decides to do Skull's End with the hooks in on Sonata because he avoided the O'Connor row. Suji comes in with a moonsault that looked beautiful. Sonata kicks out. Once Suji tries to go and cover, we get a falcon arrow. Sonata kicks out. At this point, there are three minutes left. We have a poison rana into a shiny wizard. Suji counters. Death falls with a cartwheel. It looks so good. And kick and a huge headbutt. Comes back with a curb stomp. Sonata kicks out. There is a cutter to Suji. The moonsault. From Sonata to Suji. Suji kicks out of that. He's not going to go down like Jungle Boy. Remember at Forbidden Door, Jungle Boy lost to Sonata's very, very old finisher, the Moonsault, which was embarrassing. Suji knows better. Suji kicked out. Suji is not going to lay down for the Moonsault. However, after Suji kicks out, this is where Sonata takes control of the match. We get Death Falls. Goes for the cover. Sonata gets two points in his main event for the G1 Climax 33. Sonata gives props to Suji about being a very good wrestler, but he wants him to leave the ring and leave the arena. They are currently in Sonata's hometown, and Sonata ends the show with talking about what's next. He wants to have an IWGP World Heavyweight Championship title match in his hometown so hopefully that can work out and then he just celebrates with his teammates of just five guys all right ladies and gentlemen let's go over the scoreboards or the leaderboards for a block and b block of july 21st 2023 here are the standings for a block for July 21st, 2023. Sonata is at six points. Shota Umino is at two. Renarita is at two. Yodosuji is at one. Hikaleo is at zero. Chase Owens is at four. Gabe Kidd at four. Kaito Kiyomiya at four. Here are the scores for B Block for July 21st, 2023. Okada is at six. Yoshihashi is at four, Tangaloa at two, El Fantasmo at zero, Taichi at four, Will Osprey at four, Great Okan at two, Kenta at two. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this review of the G1 Climax 33 for July 21st, 2023, Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for interacting with the Spotify Q&A and polls that I have for each of the G1 and other episodes that you can participate and interact with. I really encourage you guys to interact with that feature that Spotify gives to the listeners. It helps me out. It helps everybody out. It's an amazing feature. Some people have already been using it. So don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't be too late. Interact with the Q&As and polls that I put up on these episodes. Also, if you are a New Japan Pro Wrestling fan or you know someone who is a New Japan Pro Wrestling fan and they can't always watch the shows, but they like the reviews, I created a playlist on Spotify that is called NJPW G1 Climax 33 2023. That is my playlist of all the 
previous G133 reviews that you can listen at your own leisure. And if you love playlists, make sure to follow that and get notifications when it gets updated for all of the reviews going forward. I have one for Best of the Super Juniors this year, and I have my interview playlist as well. If you want to listen to me interview wrestlers, that's also there too on Spotify. So I would highly appreciate it if you guys can follow the Square Circle podcast on Spotify and then follow those playlists as well on Spotify. And the links to those playlists will be down in the description below. All you have to do is just click it, follow it, and share it with other people. Again, guys, thank you for listening to this. Thank you for even signing up with Zencaster with my special link and promo code and getting a paid plan Podcasting will change your life. It will open up doors of opportunities. So don't hesitate. Go follow your dream of starting a podcast show or whatever it may be. Last but not least, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Marie underscore shadows. Make sure to follow me on Substack. You guys know I have a newsletter called the Square Circle Society. That's an extension of everything that I do here. And you can follow that at marieshadows.substack.com and make sure to follow my kick channel kick.com forward slash marieshadows where I go live talk about wrestling invite you behind the curtain of what I do in the industry and all the cool things that are coming up I have some cool stuff coming up I can't talk about it right now but I will be able to talk about it soon so just stay tuned to all of my socials everything where you can find me at to celebrate with me to basically get in the know before anyone else also i do have a discord i almost forgot about my discord growing a discord is the most hardest thing to do especially when it's a wrestling discord for some reason people don't like to sign up to wrestling discords but some people do some people don't i'm so confused but if you like a discord where it is friendly non-toxic and we don't backstab each other and we're there to support each other, talk about wrestling and have fun with the fandom and have wrestling chats for everything that you see. If that's something that you're interested in, click that link down below to join the Discord. The reason why I created a Discord is to have everyone in one place to prove to myself that I have a community and to prove to myself that I can grow a community. Plus, the way that changes are happening on Twitter are not the most ideal. And the people who do live tweeting about wrestling, they always get idiots on their comments and reply section. So if you don't want the idiots and the trolls to be on your reply section, just head over to the Discord. You'll be greeted by the family and then we could talk about wrestling, have fun, fantasy book without any trolls. That's why I created the Discord so that way you can have a safe place, be seen, be heard in my Discord. So if that's something that you like, click that link, click all the other links, share it out to your friends, and I will be entirely grateful to you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.